Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a hiring manager or as a business owner, the most important job that you can ascend to is the care and nurturing of your employees and of your recruitment, hiring, and retention processes. Because if you get it right, you could have 10 people doing the job of one you. You could have 100 people doing the job of one you. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey, are you ready to elevate your business? Are you tired of losing top talent and struggling to build a high-performing team? Look no further as we welcome Danielle Mulvey, CEO of The All-In Company, to the show. With her expertise in hiring and retaining five-star employees, Danielle shares her secrets and tips on how to identify top talent, build a strong set of core values, and improve the consistency and efficiency of your hiring process. Get ready to take your business to the next level. Let's chat with her now. Hey, Danielle, welcome to the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you today. Your world is five-star employees. And as every business owner knows, that's usually what we're trying to shoot for. So you're going to solve our problems, I think, in that world today. But before I get there, expand a little bit on what you do. And then I want to ask you a little bit about your journey. And then I have some questions for you about five-star employees. Sure. Uh, Well, my husband and I currently have several businesses that do over $50 million a year in annual revenue. And I like to say that I've ascended to the best job that I spend about 10 hours a week overseeing the operations of those businesses because we have five-star employees that are actually doing the work inside the businesses so that I can focus on the strategy. I like to work with other entrepreneurs, the all-in company. I'm collaborating with Mike Michalowicz. I don't know if you're familiar with him, the author of Profit First. Well, his next book coming out in December 2023 is tentatively titled All In. And so 
it's really kind of helping businesses with that next that next problem in their business. I mean, you're all about scaling and such. And, and what we've seen with people that have implemented Profit First, for example, when they get to 10 or more employees, a million dollars or more in real revenue, they kind of get stuck in terms of their profitability and maximizing their profitability. And it's often because their biggest expense is payroll. <laughs> and that's where the problem is. They have too many average ho-hum or worse employees, one, two or three-star employees that are weighing down their payroll. And these employees aren't producing a return on their payroll. So that's really stymieing their their profitability because you know one five-star employee does the work of two or three, one, two or three-star employees. So why settle for less than a five-star employee? Right. Oh, that's great. Wow. There's so much to unpack here. Where I'd love to start with, so you're now $50 million, you're overseeing $50 million in revenue over multiple companies. We were talking a little bit before we started and we said, well, I was just curious, like that scaling process, I'm sure you've experienced a lot. Like in your journey of getting, let's say from 10 to 15 million to getting to that 15 million, what have you learned? Like, what can you share with us that you've learned along the way that has got allowed you to get to that point? Well, I would say from from a scaling point, you know, and again, like what what I've talked about earlier is is that sometimes the people that you start with, they get a sense of entitlement. So yeah, they were with you when you were a two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar company, and now you're a two million, three million dollar company, and they feel entitled that they should be vice president now. But you know, when you were a startup, they really didn't have much experience. And you guys figured it out in that startup phase. And now you've gotten to one, two million dollars, but their knowledge, their experience has has probably tapped out like half a million or a million dollars ago. And so it, it becomes really hard that as you scale, sometimes you can't bring the people with you that you started with. And I think that's something that is realistic and sobering and something that should be paid attention to. And there is no entitlement. And I just, I see too often that people have a sense of entitlement that, well, I was here from the beginning. And so, you know, I should be riding this all the way and I'm going to become vice president. And it's like, but you have no experience. You don't have the ability to take the company to the next level. Because I mean, once you scale to one one level, you're going to be scaling to the next level and the next level and the next level. It's, it's, it's this iterative process and such. So, you know, I think that's probably the biggest, maybe come to Jesus, if I can say that, that, that business owners have is, is in scaling and struggling with, with those employees that, that started with you at the beginning. So ideally you want to be setting appropriate expectations and finding a way for them, but everything is about growth and I don't know how to say this, but you know, it's very rare for people to like be with a company forever. And I believe in free will. And free will says that, you know, I can do what I want and you should be able to do what you want. And so I believe in free will with employees. You know, if I have employees who find better opportunities somewhere else or a way to grow, then that's great. I have some positions in my firm that 
you know, I mean, we we actually have one company where we process long-term care claims and we are the subcontractor to the prime contractor and we have no growth. The growth is on the prime contractor side. And you know what? Like that's, that's opportunity. So they have to leave me and that's okay. I'm great at recruiting and hiring people so I can backfill that position and such. But like, it makes more work for me when someone gets promoted and I've got to backfill that position. But like, I believe that that's why it all works together because there's free will and everyone is is just doing the best that they can. Right. There's a mindset. I can't give credit to the person because I don't remember which book it was that I read it out of, but the mindset of when an employee is kind of tapped out in terms of what your firm or company can offer them, that you with open arms and with uh, support, uh, let them move on to their next journey. And a lot of times what happens is or not a lot of times, but sometimes what happens is they'll leave and they'll go somewhere else, acquire the right skills or level up themselves, end up coming back to your organization as a more skilled individual just because they enjoyed the experience. So it kind of sounds a little bit like that's kind of in your journey that you've faced some of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, because it's so important that that we're growing as individuals. And, you know, when you're doing the same thing, like our construction materials supply business, I mean, like we're doing the same thing every day and we're growing and we're scaling. But, you know, it doesn't mean that someone who's been with me seven years doing the same job in accounting should be making, you know, twice as much as what the average salary is. So you have to really be cognizant too that you're keeping people within the appropriate wage that they would be getting if they were working in for another company for that same role. Does that make sense? Yeah, so you're just saying longevity by itself doesn't entitle you to triple salary or whatever. I'm with you all the way. And that is a challenge, you know, when you have longtime employees. And I think it doesn't matter really what I think as much as I'd love to know your input. Like, how do you deal with challenging situations like that? So, you know, Mabel, who's been the bookkeeper for 15 years and feels she should be making $160,000 when maybe a great bookkeeper goes for 60, depending right. on your area, making up the number. Which yeah. is, is that setting? You're the expert here in terms of really, I think, establishing those five-star employees and keeping them. What do we do so Mabel right-sizes her expectations or how do we deal with that? What would be your take? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it gets this whole, I don't know how to say this, like merit increases, et cetera. So we follow profit first in our businesses. And so what we do is we, we're we able, instead of dramatically changing people's salary, you know, it's all about profitability. And so we designate a portion of the quarterly profit distributions to go to the employee distributions. And so that's a way to incentivize employees and have them have like a stake in and sort of to a certain degree, like ownership of the company and ownership of of how well the company's doing. You know, are we are we raising prices? Are we minding our expenses? Those are the drivers to profitability. So I think that's a great way to have that sort of bonus incentive in play and reward people for the way that they've, you know, contributed to a company and stayed with a company, et cetera. But it doesn't become outscaling the salary of the individual because, I mean, if something happened and the company had to shut down, my husband and I, you know, 
something tragic happened to us, then, you know, I think you used Mabel as the example. If she was making $160,000 a year as a bookkeeper, she's ascended to a lifestyle where she's living off of $160,000 a year. Well, good luck. She's never going to find another bookkeeping job that would pay her $160,000 a year. So like you, you're really kind of messing with someone's life when you are setting unrealistic expectations against the market. Okay. So I want to, you talked about the profit sharing and it's, I chuckled a little bit because we have half the audience that's falling off their chair, probably thinking this could mean you're sharing the profitability of the company. And then half the audience probably saying it's a great idea. Let's talk about the half audience that are you actually in your profit sharing computation? Do the employees actually know the profitability of the company? And what's your thoughts on that? Because many times business owners, if they do know the, pro, you know, if they are sharing the profit of the company, it just makes them like fall off their chair because it's not something they want to share. So I'd love to know your thoughts and how you handle that. Yeah. So, I mean, there is not, this is not an ESOP. It's not an employee stock ownership. There is not any sort of equity that they literally have in the company. But what we do is by following profit first, which is a cash management system. So at the end of the quarter, we have been allocating a percentage to our profit hold account. And at the end of the quarter, we look at the balance in that profit hold account because this is on a cash basis for the business. And we take 50% of that balance and we put that into our vault account. And that stays in the business that kind of like helps us bank on ourselves. I mean, you know, knock on wood or call us foolish. When COVID hit and the PPP money came out, we're like, there's people that really need this. We didn't apply for it. We didn't need it. You know, it was free money now. So do we look foolish for not getting it? I don't know, but I, you know, what a relief to not have to need it and such. So that's what the vault account is for. And then 50% is basically at our discretion. You know, in most businesses, you know, the owner is taking all that. We take a percentage. It depends upon the business because all the businesses are different, but we take a certain percentage of that that 50%. And then we we designate that and allocate that to our employees on a quarterly basis. Got it. So it sounds like what you're saying is they don't have actually visibility of the profit of the company itself. It's more of like what's getting put into this fund and then you discretionarily, or I'm sure you give some framework for how it exists. Correct. Correct. There is a framework, but they're not, they're not tracking it on a daily basis. They're not seeing necessarily all the details under the hood. Yeah. Cause that's where, you know, back to that entitlement thing, you know, and there's this constant tug of war. I'm sure you've, you've considered this. Oh, like into your bonuses. Yeah. And people see, you know, you're making your business making 3 million a year. How come I'm not getting $160,000 as a bookkeeper is what they're, how their mind works sometimes. And, you know, what's not oftentimes factored into that, to your point, you said cash basis, that could be very deceptive, right? Like cash basis could be AR that we held last year. And last year, maybe we had a loss on an accrual basis, but it was just cash we received later. So it's it's sometimes hard for, I think, staff to see that P&L number. And so I love what you just said. Now, how do you, in terms of bringing on really Ensuring employees are really high caliber. Do you recall the story when I was reading about you? I'd love for you to share it when you hired your first person. You just said it's a fun story. If you remember it, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah, it wasn't the number one first employee I ever hired, but it was in like, you know, my first years of owning a business at the ripe old age of 25. You know, so my hiring strategy back then was to hire people younger than me because they would have no clue 
if I was, you know, a good boss or a bad boss and such, because it was the blind leading the blind to a certain degree. And so I had lucked out in my first few hires. And then I made another hire. I think he was like employee number six. And, you know, he sort of checked the boxes, younger than me, recent college graduate. He actually was the sibling of someone I went to college with, and he was the fraternity brother of one of my current employees. So, you know, that no like trust factor, whatever. So checked all the boxes there. So brought him in and, you know, he was with us for a bit. And I remember waking up one Monday morning and saying, can I call in sick to my own company? Because (laughs) I just did not want to deal with him for another week, let alone another Monday. And that's when I really kind of was like, "Um, I think my hiring strategy needs to retire and I need to get really serious about, about hiring. I had been lucky up to that point and then became unlucky. And so that's when I really just kind of dove in, literally went all in in figuring out, you know, what it takes. And so, you know, almost 25 years later, here I am and have have proven it across multiple businesses, have shared it with other entrepreneurs and, and businesses. And now Mike and I are working, like I said, on his next book. And it's all based around objectively hiring people, assessing talent using a rating system, which we call the five-star employee rating system. Great. So one thing I before I get into the five-star employee, because that's a super important part of this uh, discussion, you know, you used a, a system of maybe hiring people younger than you. You know, it's interesting. Business owners oftentimes, it doesn't necessarily become an age thing. Sometimes it's their own uh, insecurities in terms of where they're at. Yeah. I mean, and they hire lesser people, not even consciously sometimes, it's subconscious. And interestingly enough, it's sometimes even staff, you delegate, you know, staff gets to a point where they're allowed to hire people. And I'm going through this right now. I have a client, great client. I'm going to try to be discreet here. They have a uh, an employee that's that's not performing at a top level and they're trying to get them to delegate their work because they're saying they don't have enough time. And the candidates that they keep bringing in to support that person can't really do the job. And they had to have a discussion with a particular employee and say, hey, it seems like you're intentionally hiring people that are lesser skilled than you. And how how do you deal with that? Have you ever heard, have you ever had that happen outside? Absolutely. How do you deal with that? Is that, is a five-star employee won't do that? Or is that something part that you have to coach and train as you go along? Do you have any thoughts? So I would say that obviously there's some insecurity about the person in that role. And that person is probably just not a five-star employee for that mm. role to begin with. And so the funny thing is, is that you're a five-star employee specific to the role at the specific company. So the five-star employee rating system is personalized and customized to the role and to the company. We've taken people through this and we've taken two bookkeeping firms through the process at the same time. And what's fascinating is, is they're both looking for remote bookkeepers, but I can tell you this, that company B is looking from someone totally different from company A, but they're both looking for bookkeepers. And they wouldn't work in each other's companies. So if company B wanted to share one of their bookkeepers with company A, it wouldn't 
be a match because they have different criteria and different expectations. So, you know, and, and I like to say that, you know, I could get a job as a bookkeeper tomorrow. I mean, there's a high demand for bookkeepers out there and I could walk into five places and get four offers. But you know what? I'd be a two-star bookkeeper because I'm not a really good bookkeeper. Like <laughs> I, I know enough to be dangerous, but I'm a five-star entrepreneur, you know? So someone isn't just labeled a five-star employee, like, you know, universal across any job. It's very specific to the role and to the company. In this five-star, is that just a, a naming convention or is there something around? Yeah. Can you kind of take me through that? What's that mean? Yeah. So there are five criteria in the five-star employee rating system. The first criteria are core values. So you want employees who are aligned with your core values, not your aspirational values, not your groupthink values that you guys have come together as a company, but as the owner, your true, true core values. And, and when you get that alignment and core values, I mean, this is like the first, the first thing that we do because you, when we teach people the five-star employee rating system, we have them you know, use the five-star employee rating system on rating their existing talent. And, you know, and when they think about their existing talent or they think about employees who didn't work out in the past, I mean, the core values, they're like, oh, it's totally easy. I mean, you know, and, and this is why relationships work or don't work. You know, relationships work when your core values are aligned, right? And relationships tend to fail when they when there's a conflict in core values. So core values is really the foundation and alignment with the core values is the foundation of the five-star employee rating system. And then the next criteria are the 11 universal qualities of a five-star employee. So we've identified 11 universal qualities of a five-star employee. Some are easy to change. Some, you know, can be improved upon with some coaching. And there's two that are like red flags. So if you need someone to be limber and you need them to be a four out of five in terms of being limber, and they're like a two, you know, someone who says, nope, I got to go at five o'clock. I'm watching the clock. I'm out of here. Then that's not the person for you. That's a red flag. Like don't let them proceed. And then the second red flag sort of 11 universal quality is listening. So you really want to really know if someone is a good active listener and if you need that for the role and you need someone, you know, again, who's, you know, a four out of five on that and there are two, then the buck stops here. The interview is over. I interviewed someone last March and I was three minutes into the interview and I'm like, she's not answering the question. She's just talking. And so then I was like trying to ask simpler questions and five minutes in, she's still not answering the questions. And it's like, she's not listening, you know? And I'm like, this is not going to work for me. And I just said, you know, I'm sorry. I just don't think this is going to be a fit for us. And thank you so much. And, you know, good luck with your job search and such. So the 11 universal qualities are just a really helpful indicator that especially for small businesses. And then the third criteria are the aptitudes and skills. So we have over 25 aptitudes and we challenge business owners to identify no more than 13, like nine to 13 aptitudes that are specific for the role and then have questions that really help you gauge that person's true aptitude and have skills testing too to back up, you know, can they demonstrate performing that aptitude. An example of an aptitude could be creativity. You know, if you're hiring someone to be a social media manager, you probably need them to have high creativity, a five out of five on creativity. But for a bookkeeper, you probably don't need creativity on your aptitudes checklist, Hopefully right? Hopefully not. Attention to detail might, might be a little more important. <laughs> exactly. And then the fourth criteria 
are success metrics. So you want to make sure that what someone's doing is actually like, you know, measurable and quantifiable. So you want to find the three to five key responsibilities and then designate what the success metrics are for that. So for example, I mentioned our claims processing business. You know, we're looking for people that can process 42 claims a day with 98% procedural accuracy and 98% financial accuracy. So we've got three success metrics for that role. And then the final criteria is return on payroll. So you need to be in alignment. We talked about this with with Mabel, the bookkeeper. You don't want to pay her $160,000 a year when the going rate is $60,000 a year. Actually, the going rate for a bookkeeper is much less than that. But anyways, so you want to make sure that your employees are producing a 3x return on payroll. So, you know, that's a way to keep in line. You know, we talked about scaling and and kind of the conflict that people have. When you have 10 or more employees, a million dollars or more in real revenue, we often see that businesses are struggling with our profitability because their biggest expense is in payroll. And when you have one, two, and three-star employees, that's weighing your payroll down because it takes two or three, one, two or three star employees that you're paying $50,000 a year to, to do the work of one five-star employee that you're paying $50,000 to. So do you want two or three people that you're paying a total of $150,000 to, or do you want one five-star employee that you're only paying $50,000 a year to? So return on payroll is a really important metric to make sure that you're you know, bringing on people who are actually contributing to to revenue producing activity. And, you know, some people say, well, I need an assistant. Like, how's how's that not? And it's like, no, there is a way to calculate how an assistant has an impact on revenue producing activity. So if you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. You know, bringing on people who are actually contributing to to revenue producing activity. And, you know, some people say, well, I need an assistant. Like, how's, how's that not? And it's like, no, there is a way to calculate how an assistant has an impact on revenue producing activity. So, yeah. So everything, I think what I'm hearing you say too is, Everything has some measurable component or exactly there. Yeah. Okay. Very objective. We're objective. <laughs> so so how do you attract these five star employees? Cause I imagine is there anything that you can do that can Oh, how to attract them? Yeah, to attract them. Is there anything you can do? Yeah. So there's a lot of things that you do. Okay. It's a numbers game. So, you know, we say that a five-star employee represents the top 15% of available talent in the market at the given rate. So statistically, that means one out of seven candidates is a potential five-star employee. So you want to cast as wide of a net as possible. You need 21 applicants to have maybe three potential five-star candidates. So you want to be having like 50, 75, 100 applicants for a role so that you're able to filter out 
the one, two, and three star candidates, usually in an automated fashion. But the way that you can attract the five star candidates is by kind of laying out your expectations, sharing your core values in your job posting, sharing the success metrics that you're expecting in the job posting. Like that is going to attract the five star person who's like, all right, this is the place for me. If they're holding people accountable, if this is their core values, like, yes, then. These losers that I've been working with at company XYZ here, they would never apply to this job. So I'm going to apply to this job. I'm going to throw my hat in the ring here because it sounds like, you know, they're my kind of people. You want to be personalized. You know, I find so many businesses think their their greatest hack is taking three job postings from their competitors and then merging it and, and creating their own. But it's just a lot of blah and vanilla and nothing really substantial or substantive uh, right. to say the least. Right. No, that is true. And what do you do? So I love how you said it's a numbers game. I think the more people you talk to, probably the better chance you have for finding the right person, assuming that type of role has that type of candidate flow. But what do you do? Do people ever get through the gate and they're not a five-star employee? And then how do you handle that? Do you, do you try to make them into a five-star employee? Do you Quick, so let's say they're a two-star employee. Like, what what do we do? They're in, they're now in the organization, and they're a two-star employee. So you really, again, you know, they're a two-star employee for the role. So you know, what are their strengths? What are they really good at? What do they love doing? And can you design a role for them to leverage their strengths? So you know, I mean, that's really like the problem is that you know, people when they throw their hat in the ring for a job, no one wants to be rejected. So, you know, even though I could throw my hat in the ring and get a bookkeeper job tomorrow, like I'm going to fight for that job. I'm not going to enjoy it. I know it, but I could get the job. So I throw my hat in the ring and I, and I say I can do it and they believe that I can do it. So they give me the job. But, you know, it's, it's kind of this weird rejection factor that people are trying to, to avoid. And so, you know, as a hiring manager or as a business owner, the most important job that you can ascend to is the care and nurturing of your employees and of your recruitment, hiring, and retention processes. Because if you get it right, you could have 10 people doing the job of one you. You could have 100 people doing the job of one you. And that really kind of was a big aha for me 10 plus years ago when I was just struggling of like, how can I make more money? How can I make more money? And it was, well, I need to get my eggs out of one basket and have them in multiple baskets. And I need to have teams of people making money for me on an hourly, daily basis and kind of getting out of the way. And so I love what I do now. I love getting, you know, the day started on my teams. I host the daily huddles or the vitamin C meetings and make sure everyone starts in an elevated state. I have just a 10 minute pulse of what's going on in the business. I'm able to thank them. I'm also able to like send them off to their day and say, all right, let's go, let's get this. And so, you know, it's it's really more rewarding than I ever anticipated. And, you know, I had, a, this was a startup last year as we've been working working on the book and such. And, and it kind of took me away from that role because I had to kind of work in this in this business, getting it started up and working on the book and stuff. But now I'm like back into my favorite role and that's just the care and nurturing of, of my employees. 
So you kind of touched on it a little bit just now on what you said. What do you do around as an employer? What do you do to retain these five-star employees? And you mentioned yeah. the daily huddle, and it sounds like you're very encouraging. Can you share a few things of what helps retain five-star employees? Yeah. So appreciation. Okay. Appreciation. It's not It's not necessarily money. It's appreciation and recognition. And so the daily huddle is an opportunity for us. Um, we call it vitamin C in some meetings and it's structured a little bit differently. But from a basic perspective, the daily huddle starts with a celebration, you know, and it could be someone sharing a personal celebration or a team celebration or a client related celebration. And then everyone shares the three things they did yesterday and the three things that they're going to do today. And it's an opportunity for other people on the team to also give shout outs. So we had a team member, for example, who's been out the last couple of days. And so she gave a shout out to two members on the team who, you know, covered for her while she was gone and, and, you know, gave the metrics of actually what they covered for while she was gone. So it was recognition. It was appreciation. At the end of the week, we tally up all the shout outs and whoever has the most shout outs gets to spin the wheel. And there's, you know, a prize associated with each number on the wheel and such. So it just makes it fun. And the fascinating thing is I'm such a numbers nerd is I have a spreadsheet that tracks like every week who wins the wheel and stuff. And it's just amazing at the end of the year, which I just tallied up last year, you know, it really is like everyone, everyone kind of wins their fair share of the wheel. It's not like one person dominates or anything. Awesome. It just works itself out naturally. And that like is a true, I think, testament of having a genuine five-star team because everyone's pulling their weight. Very cool. Hey, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, you mentioned core values as almost being the first star. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's companies out in the audience where core values may not be something they've defined or they may not even, you know, sometimes I'll hear people say, oh, are those the things I put on my website we never talk about? For those types of companies, like what are your thoughts around core values? How do you introduce someone to that that maybe doesn't see the value in them? And then maybe you could even give us a couple examples of core values. I'd love to know some. So what's funny is, you know, when we work with businesses on customizing their five-star employee rating system to the role and to their organization, the first thing we start with is core values. And they're like, well, can I skip this? We already have our core values. And I was like, you know what? It's a 25-minute exercise. Can you just spare me and go through this exercise and, you know, just kind of hang with everyone else and do it? And they're like, all right, fine. They do it. And then they're like, oh my gosh. Because likely the values that they have been espousing and that they, you know, have on a website or have on a plaque somewhere are aspirational values. They're not genuine, true core values that are true 100% of the time. It's like what we'd like to do, what we what we aspire to do. And so that's where there becomes kind of a disconnect because it's now not genuine because it's not happening 100% of the time. So the core values are the, are the three to five things that happen 100% of the time. And then what's important is, is that you have qualifying statements around those core values and that you are talking about those core values every day. And if I could just like, I wasn't expecting this, but um, <laughs> so I have this handy ledge here. So, you know, when I'm not guesting on a podcast, you know, depending upon the company that I'm hosting our daily huddle for. Can you read that just for the people that are listening? Yeah. 
So for Supply Patriot, which is our construction material supply company, our core values are ownership, accountability, and relationships. And so, you know, these are really my husband's core values. He really leads the sales of the organization and the client and the vendor relationships. I just oversee the back office operations in that business and and lead the daily huddles and such. But, you know, we need people who are going to, you know, we're, we started out really small. So we need you to own the project that you're assigned and you need to be accountable and be comfortable with accountability, which is what we have with our daily huddle. And then uh, relationships are so important to our business. So, you know, I mean, our vendor relationships, our client relationships. And so, and we have an image of an or in the background because O-A-R is ownership, accountability, relationships. And, and you know, we're all, we're all paddling together and, and, and working together as a team. And so this is like behind everyone's image during the daily huddle. We've got offices all over the place, a warehouse, this, that, the other. So, you know, we're all coming in on Zoom and we have this all over our offices as well. But, you know, we always talk about owning it, the relationships, you know, how can we better our relationships with customers, with certain contacts? And then, and then we have the daily accountability. So, so with core values, you have to be talking about them every single day. You, you reward, you appreciate, you reprimand based off the core values. Yeah. I guess I had on here not too long ago as part of his core values, what he did is in his team meetings, his weekly team meetings, he actually started the meeting by having team members identify what others had done that relate to a core value. And I thought it was, what a cool idea. I mean, I I never thought of it in doing it that way and really brought it to life. You could tell as he was explaining some examples that just brought those core values to life. But I assume part of it is bringing visibility. Like you said, the signs are around and that awareness, that constant awareness. Yeah. And, you know, it's really, it falls on the owner or, or the, or the team leader to, Leadership, to yeah. just constantly be reminding people. I was talking to an entrepreneur in December and, you know, I'm just like, it's like parenting, you know, you can't just tell your kids once you have to just be saying it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And when you kind of take that that love that a parent has that wants to just make sure that their that their kids really get it, but they have to say it over and over again. It's the same thing with employees. You just have to be constantly talking about it. And I can guarantee you when the wheel seems like it's falling off, it's because you stop talking about that right wheel. Right, right. It's the reinforcement. Yeah, that's great stuff. Hey, I've got just a couple more things I want to cover with you. So I always like to close the show with either a business or a life tip that you've learned from your experiences that you could share with us and hopefully we can apply into our life for business. Anything off the top of your head? Yeah, absolutely. So back in the day, before I started my company, my first job out of college was a flight attendant, which shocks everyone. It was sort of my gap year. I was waiting for my fifth year senior boyfriend to graduate. (laughs) And so what I learned from being a flight attendant has like been the number one thing that I talk about in in business and make sure that like, I mean, all my employees, if, if this hasn't been repeated, that they, they know it's coming and that I can see their eyes rolling now as I'm about to say this. But do you know why airplanes don't fall out of the sky? Uh-huh. You don't? There, no, I don't. And I mean, I would assume aerodynamics and just the engines and the float of the wind. I don't no. know. 
You know why airplanes don't fall out of the sky? Because the pilots have to follow a checklist. So regardless Ah, of a pilot having a thousand hours of flying experience or 5,000 hours of flying experience, they follow a checklist. And a checklist will save your business. A checklist will give you consistency and reliability in your business. It will make sure your employees are doing everything right every day. We process... I mean, thousands of transactions in our construction material supply business. We process thousands of claims every week in our claims business, but they're following a checklist, which ensures that we're providing consistency and quality in what we're doing, even though they do it 50 times a day, 100 times a day, 1,000 times a week. Wow. Is there in that checklist, like, what do you advocate? Is there a checklist for almost everything or do you pick your most important processes or what's your thoughts around that? So it's interesting. It kind of depends upon the role. It, it depends upon, you know, sometimes it's a it's a checklist for the week. Sometimes it's a checklist for a task. Sometimes it's a checklist for the day or to a specific process. But it's making sure the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. And, you know, that's that's what's the key to, to business. I'm working with a couple of businesses right now in, in helping them design their weekly checklists for for some staff on their team. And, you know, it's finally falling into place for them because people are easily distracted, hijacked, whatever you want to say and such. But when you come back to a checklist, when you come back to a plan, it keeps you on track. And so that's the ticket. I love that. Well, I got a lot out of this show. In particular, I know what makes a plane fly, which uh, you stumped me on that one. A checklist, it definitely it definitely hits home. It makes a lot of sense. Hey, I'll put this in the show notes. You have offered to um, give a knowledge bomb on how to hire five-star employees. And if you're interested in that, all you need to do is text the number 411-321 and then one word, the word never settle. So 411-321 and the word never settle. Don't put a space in there and you'll get your free resource. I'll also put that in the show notes. You know, uh, Danielle, I can't thank you enough for being here today. You've got a wealth of knowledge. What I'd like to ask you is when the All In book gets out there, I'd love for you to come back and I'd love to dig into that and uh, just talk about that. I think it sounds like for one, I love the book name All In is a great name, but I think the topic of having great employees and doing what we can as employers to ensure, you know, we're developing and creating great people and great companies, I think is awesome what you're doing. Oh, I'd love that. Thanks so much, Tyler. Well, thanks again for being part of this and I'll talk with you in the future. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. 
ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast.